Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Everyone has that person in their life that you just don't quite get. That uncle that tells a joke that really isn't funny, but he keeps telling it to you every time you see him and acts like it's the first time you've ever heard it. Do you have that uncle? Let's see here. Uh, How about that cousin who posts inappropriate things on Facebook and says that you're related to them? Or how about that coworker or another family member? You know, you know this person who starts to tell you a story but begins that story in the middle of the story and expects you to follow along and they look at you like you're the crazy one because you have no idea what they're talking about. Anybody have that person? It's that kind of situation that we have in our second reading for this week today. The text begins with the concluding word, therefore. Clearly, the author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, is presenting closing arguments or some kind of thesis. But what's the argument? To understand Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23, it's critical to look back and read the preceding verses. This is what we need to do always when we're looking at a particular text or if someone is quoting scripture to us. It is important for us to look at what becomes before the text and what comes after the text so that we understand what the context of the writings are. So, to understand what Paul is trying to say today in our epistle lesson, we must go backward in order to go forward. We have to, and when we do that, when we look backward, we find it what an explanation is and what baptism means to be united with Christ, both in his death and resurrection. The old self to sin has died. A new self is alive with Christ. And that alive self has come into being. Thus the conclusion, Paul writes, Therefore do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies, to make you obey their passions. You know, I don't think we actually think in terms like this. Do you? Do you actually, you know, maybe stop at a red light and say, hmm, I wonder if I'm letting sin exercise dominion in my mortal body. Hmm. Probably not. But maybe we should think about sin a little bit more. Not the sin of other people, but of our own. In the church service here, we think it's so paramount, so important to start the church service off right that we come together corporately and we say the confession and forgiveness. We say we are sinners. We are captive to sin and we cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed both by what we have done and by what we have left undone. To fully appreciate just how great God is and how awesome our gift of salvation is, we have to first acknowledge that we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. And we have one. And his name is Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever done something wrong? (laughs) Okay, good. Excellent. We're all on the same page. Excellent. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done something wrong And then, in order to cover up that something wrong, you did 18 more wrong things to cover up that first wrong thing. You know it's true. We all have. I call it the circling the drain effect. Adam and Eve, eating the fruit, were told, they were told not to, right? 
They were told not to eat of this certain fruit. And when they did, they hid and they blamed a snake. Jonah was charged by God to deliver a message from Nineveh. And instead, he ran away from that commitment and ended up in a terrible storm and in the belly of a large fish. at Three days and three nights. I bet you've seen this play out with your children, if you have children. You ask them, what have you done? They say, nothing. Or you say, why did you do that? And their answer, I don't know. Oh, you knew the answer before I even said it. That's great. Most of the time, yes, they do know why they did it, and that's a lie. What about you? Have you messed up? Committed a sin, and then instead of confessing that sin, owning up to your mistake, getting forgiveness, and moving on with life, you chose to sin some more to cover it up. Why did Adam and Eve hide? Genesis 3 says this, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Right here in Genesis chapter 3, we have from the beginning of creation, we've been trying to cover our tracks, to keep our sins in the dark. But if we are to be children of the light, then what we do, all that we say, all that we do, has already been exposed in the light. So if God already knows, what are you trying to hide? If God already knows your sin and yet still loves you so much to give his one and only son to live, suffer, and die and rise again for you, why are you afraid? Why are you trying to cover it up? Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's important to acknowledge our sin. Confess it, repent, which means to turn from sin and turn back to God. Receive forgiveness in Christ's name and live. And that... That life we get in the forgiveness, the full forgiveness of God, it is then that we will truly live freely. Two farmers were putting up a fence one day. One of them suddenly dropped a heavy fence post right in the middle of a mud puddle. Both men were splashed with mud. Later an eyewitness said to one of the farmers, Jim, did you drop that post in the middle of the puddle on purpose? The farmer nodded his head. Yep, I sure did. The puzzled man said, why did you do that? He said, well, you know that boy Willie I was working with? Yeah. Well, he had a brand new pair of overalls on, and he was so afraid of getting them things dirty, he kept willy-nillying around the work. So I just took the fence post and dropped it, got mud all over his overalls. You see how fast he started working after that mud baptism? Here's the thing. We Christians are all saints and sinners at the same time. Willie the farmer could finally get some work done because he didn't have to worry about getting his overalls dirty anymore, which was bound to happen at one time or another. How many of you have ever driven a car that's new to you and you swear you're never going to eat a thing in that car? You're never going to wear dirty shoes in that car. It's going to keep the new car smell for 19 years. What happens? How many of you have french fries under the seat? It's a true story. Likewise, we Christians, we don't live under the law. 
If we try to live under, up under the law, we will fail every time. We will find a way to break the law of God. We will find a way. But Paul says here in this letter to the Romans, in Christ we are now free from the law and we live in grace. This is not the same as having no law. As Martin Luther would be quick to point out, we have to have law and gospel. We got to have both. You got to have law to convict you. But if you just live in law, then you are you're eternally just going to walk around with your head down in shame in your heart. But you also have to have gospel to say that, yes, I've broken the law, but I am now free in Christ. I can live. I am forgiven. But if we just live with the gospel, then we have watered down and cheapened the gift that Christ has won for us. We have to acknowledge our sin, repent of it, and live as God would have us to do. When we do that, we truly die to sin and rise in new life to Christ because of God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But here's the deal. We also need to try not to return to that sin over and over again. I'm sure all of us have a particular sin that we're aware of that we keep committing over and over again and wish we could stop. Some may point to the love and compassion of God and forgiveness and grace and say, well, you know what, if I go ahead and do this, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'll go ahead and do it. What's that old saying? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Well, to that I quote this. Proverbs 26, 11 says, Like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. In Romans 6, 2, Paul describes followers of Christ that those who have died to sin, that dying to sin implies changed behavior. Because God's grace through Christ, lives are changed. Romans 6 says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Paul is so definitive in his writings. He leaves no doubt that we are free from the law but also slaves to Christ. This passionate plea is for us to not live under the dominion of sin and to not keep returning to our sin like a dog would to vomit. You see, you are free in Christ. I know this is the Sunday before the 4th of July where we celebrate our nation's Independence Day. Let us this morning, this first day of the week, this day of the week where we celebrate Jesus Christ's resurrection, let us celebrate what true freedom is. A true spiritual freedom. Freedom that sin no longer has control over you. Freedom that death has lost its sting. Freedom that encourages us to acknowledge that all of our cars are dirty, all of our overalls have mud on them, and yet we are made clean by the blood of the resurrected Christ. Once again, we must accept this gift of Christ And when we do that, we are freed from the sin, death, and the power of the devil. And we are free to have a vision for life, to imagine what God would do with us, for us, amongst us, when we fully present ourselves to God. Can you envision your life right now without the distraction of the power of sin pulling at you? What a vision that is. The freedom of a Christian is to live independent, but not so independent that we are not dependent on God. 
Martin Luther once wrote this really long thing, and if you really want to do something fun this week, read this, Google it. A Treatise on Christian Liberty. I commend it to you. It's a lot of fun. And in that document, Martin Luther writes this. A Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. These two theses seem to contradict each other. If, however, they should be found to fit together, they would serve our purpose beautifully. In baptism, we die to sin. and We are raised to new life. We remember our baptism every time we pass by the font, every time we encounter water. Luther would say, in agreement with Paul, we take old Adam and we drown him and then we rise to new life in Christ. That's the symbolism of baptism. That's what happens. So today, I invite you to be blessed by God today. Take the confession and forgiveness seriously. You have been forgiven. Come to the table today and have Christ's body and blood that was broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. May that be ingested by you. May it become a part of you and may you live freely knowing that you are free from sin, death, and the power of the devil to live the life God has so wanted to give you. God's truth is marching on. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.